So, it's a privilege to be with you again uh, after my vacation to Florida. So, uh, that's probably obviously why I'm t- tanner than most of you. Can't help it down there. It's sunny every day and 80 degrees. So, anyway, praise the Lord. <laughs> Actually excited to be back. And uh, the, I, I believe the Lord uh, put this message on my heart. Kind of came out of left, left field. So, it's one of those messages, you know it's for somebody, and I think it's not only for somebody, I think it's for some buddies. So I hope this is an encouragement tonight. Um, as I studied this message, it really it came alive to me, and uh, it reminded me of a lot of things the Lord has dealt with in my life uh, over time. And uh, I hope this message will help all of the listeners. And this is a message about one of the most common afflictions in the modern world. This is very common in the modern world. You'll all recognize this immediately. It's, it's the affliction known as worry and anxiety. It, it affects most people in the modern world, and it affects, at some times, most of us here tonight. Uh, it affected people in Jesus' day. We're going to see that. And Jesus addressed it at that time as well. There are big challenges in the world today, facing billions of people on an increasing level. And its worries and anxieties are, I'm going to talk about that tonight, are increasing statistically. They're, they're proving that this is an increasing phenomena. People have always worried, certainly throughout all time, but people are worrying more and more in, in today's world. And it affects our mental health and it creates a lot of issues along, along those lines. So whether you're young or old, you could be worrying. I've worried my share in my day. It's actually a big subject in the Word of God. I'm, I'm going to by no means cover it all tonight, but I don't need to cover it all tonight. I need to just give you the message that the Lord wanted me to share. And simple sometimes is, is fine. So we'll see if this is simple or not. Praise God. There's wonderful insights about worry in the Bible and God's perspective about worry and advice about worry. Kind of like the ABCs of worry and how to handle worry are in the Bible. It's not just a, a, an issue that affects people in the world, it affects people in the church. None of us are immune from it. Nobody's immune from it. You know, there are so many versions of worry that I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about any one of the things people worry about, per se. Because we'd spend the whole night talking about all the different variations of worry. It doesn't really matter what the worries are that you're worrying about. The fact is, it's the worrying parts that's, that's the problem. We all have our own version, our own list of worries, right? This person worries about this, and this person worries about that. Whatever we worry about, it doesn't really matter. It's whatever the worry is, it can sap our life and our strength and our vitality. And it has all kinds of hurtful side effects. And I will show you that the Bible says worry is bad, plain and simple. But the Bible has a wonderful, wonderful solution to this affliction, And if we learn to practice what the prescription in the Bible is for worry, if we practice it, not only will the quality of our life improve, we'll be better servants of the Lord. We'll be blessed as God desires for us. We will accomplish more in Christ because we're going to be less wrapped up with our worries. We're going to be more productive. We're going to have more energy. That's why God cares about worry. He cares about us. Hallelujah. Now, all different studies confirm, I could cite so many studies, but I'm not going to do that. So many studies confirm that mental health is declining in the world. And a big 
part of that is the root cause, which is worry and anxieties. I'll just give you one study, one snippet. During the COVID crisis, they did a study. More than 44% of students in the 9th through 12th grade experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness, 44%, while approximately one-fifth of youths seriously contemplated attempting suicide. One-fifth of all high school students, and 9% attempted it during lockdowns when many schools were closed. More than one-third of students experienced poor mental health, while nearly half of respondents reported suffering negative effects on their mental health due to the lack of connection with friends in the absence of in-person learning. That's just one study. How do you think the senior citizens that were locked in the nursing homes felt? Weren't they worried that they'd never see their families again? Didn't they have concerns? So the young were affected and the old were affected. How about those who lost their jobs through COVID? Do you think those folks were worried? Do you think the folks in the Ukraine right now are worried? Do you think the brethren in Myanmar and India being persecuted or Nigeria are worried or could be worrying? Worries are at their peak in the world right now. Who's not worried about the state of of, uh, things in the world today? People on the left are concerned. People on the right are concerned. Nobody's happy where things are. And often at the root of mental despair are worries and anxieties. There's very few people in the world that can be called carefree. And the ones who are called carefree are just hiding it, for the most part. I'd say more people are worried at the present time than in my whole lifetime. I've been around for a while. People are worried about all kinds of things. I said I wasn't going to cover anything, but people worry about COVID. They worry about war. They worry about nuclear war. They worry about inflation, job prospects, career paths, lack of those opportunities, food shortages, loneliness. The list goes on and on. Now, the Bible says that in the days leading up to Christ's return, there would be very troubling times coming on the earth in increasing frequency. Did you know that Jesus said that people would be worrying more and more before his return? Did you know Jesus said that? Let's go there. Luke chapter 21, verse 26. This is exactly the definition of worry. Luke 21, verse 26. I'm going to jump right into this passage where Jesus is talking about the end times. He says in 2126, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. This is actually a really precise definition of worry. Fear and the expectation of those things coming on the earth. That is the definition of worry. You worry about things before they come, before they happen. Our worries bring those concerns close to us. You know, the, the says here the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And we're seeing real shakeups in the world right now, aren't we? The powers that we have known are being overturned. 
Political systems and ideologies all around the world are being turned upside down and turned over again. Do you realize that even as I speak, the world is going through a seismic realignment that it hasn't gone through in many decades? And it's all being driven by what's going on in the Ukraine. You're seeing the world right now split into two different directions. The West is aligning one way, and Russia, China, and their allies are aligning a different way. And it's going to even affect our financial system. The financial system is going to split over this. The the U.S. will probably at some point in the near future no longer be the world's reserve currency. And if you study that topic, that's a big thing. The world is not a stable place, and people are worried about it. Don't worry, I'm not going to spend the whole night talking about worries. I want to give the solution. Notice Jesus says that men's hearts fail them for fear of the expectation of those things coming on the earth. This is specifically worldwide worry. Worldwide worry can be found on the World Wide Web, right? When you expect bad things to be coming on the earth, that is the definition of worry. They're expecting bad things to happen because they are seeing bad things happening. And they are worried about more bad things happening. And people are worried to the point of hearts failing over it. People are drinking themselves to death. Death by drug overdose has spiked up incredibly in our nation as well as around the world. This is all statistically backed up. And I know there are people that just hide their heads in the sand, but for the most part, people are aware of this. Now, the word failing them, it says hearts failing them. In the original language, it means to breathe out life or expire, to faint or swoon away. People are fainting today. They're losing courage over what they see coming based on what they see happening. Have you seen the mortality Statistics for younger people in the U.S. This is pretty shocking. Let me share this with you. I read this a few months ago, and I saved it. This gentleman, Scott Davison, he's the CEO of One America. It's a $100 billion life insurance and retirement company. He said, we're seeing right now the highest death rates we've ever seen in the history of our business. That goes back about 100 years. Davison said death rates among working-age people, those 18 to 64 years old, are up 40%. 18 to 64-year-olds are up 40% in the fourth quarter over 2021 over over the pandemic levels. Now, just to give you an idea how bad that is, he says, what he called a three-sigma event, or in other words, a 200-year catastrophe. Okay, so a 200-year catastrophe, a once-in-every-200-year catastrophe, would result in the death rates in this group of people spiking 10%. 10%. It's up 40%. It's up 40%. Pretty shocking. So he said, so 40% is pretty unheard of. And it's not all due to COVID. About 30% of the, of the deaths in that age group were due to COVID. And the rest of the things were due to drug overdose, suicides, increase in risky behaviors, and increases in violent deaths. That's a statistical fact right there. Jesus said men's hearts failing them for what they are seeing happening. 
People can't handle the stresses of this world. They can't handle it. They're not prepared. Nothing has prepared them for these stresses. So don't tell me the Bible does not speak to what is going on all around us. It speaks right to it, directly at it, nail on the head, completely relevant. And quite prophetic, quite prophetic. Jesus himself predicted the world would be worrying at high levels prior to his return. Now, interestingly, the word worry comes from an old English word, which means to strangle or choke. That's a great definition, as that is exactly what the Bible says worry does. Can we go there? Can we go to Matthew chapter 13, verse 22? The old English word for worry lines up exactly with what the Bible's definition of worry is. Matthew 13, verse 22. Jesus knows the effect that worries have on us. Matthew, Matthew 13, 22. Jesus said, Now he who receives seed, which for, for purposes of tonight, it's God's word. He who receives seed, or God's word, among the thorns, is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. The cares, which means the anxieties and worries of this world, can choke the word. It doesn't matter what you're worried about. Worries work the opposite of faith. We're going to talk about that tonight. It chokes the word in our life. Is worry costing you sleep tonight? Peace of mind. Is it hurting your relationship with others or your relationship with the Lord? I say that God offers a solution and rest to his people. Let's go to Psalms. Let's turn the corner here. Let's go to Psalms 37. I don't think I needed to sell you on worries, but I did want to cover some of the facts of worries, lest we be ignorant. Psalms 37, verse 7, please. Let's see what God says about worry. In Psalms 37, verse 7, it says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass, Mr. Putin. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Well, what is fret? Fret is another word for worry. It's an Old Testament word for worry. The Bible says, don't worry about what the wicked are doing. Don't fret or worry because of them. Their success and prosperity is short-lived. Let's keep a heavenly perspective. The Bible says, do not fret. It only causes harm. That's what God says. That's what God's opinion is of worry. It only causes harm. It's right there. Do not fret. It only causes harm. No good will come from it. The Bible actually tells us a command here. Do not fret. God tells us, do not fret. It only causes harm. Can we obey that scripture? Hallelujah. I'm trying. Hallelujah. He also says here that the answer to worry is in a relationship with God. Verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. That is where we will find our answers tonight to worry. In a relationship with the Lord. Hallelujah. 
So let's think about worry for a moment in its most basic level. We already touched on it previously when Jesus talked about men's hearts failing them. The thing that the Holy Spirit really impressed upon my heart, the insight to me from the Lord was this as I prayed. Listen closely. Worry takes you into the potential future or into the areas outside of your control today. And it brings that bad potential based on your fears right to you. Right to you. Up close and personal in your mind, which is your battleground. Worry is the expectation of those things bad out there coming into your life or into the lives of those that you love. It transports that trouble from way out there into your life. Even though it hasn't happened, you're still thinking about it. It makes up possible outcomes that rob you of joy today. And God has a solution for this. These things are only possibilities. But these possibilities become realities to us inside of our minds. God doesn't want us going out into the future and bringing possible fears into our lives. He wants us going out into the future and seeing the answers to prayer and bringing that into our lives. And I'm going to talk about that tonight. Worries take you out there and they bring your troubles close by. Prayer and faith take you out there and they see God as Brother John was talking about. He's already moving. He's already working towards that end. And when you pray in faith, you're going out there and you're bringing those victories close to your life. Praise God. Scientists have done some basic studies on worry because it's such a common affliction. They gave a a large sample of people uh, journals. And they say, write down, as of this moment in time, all the things that worry you. All the possible things that worry you. So people kind of racked their brains and they made up their lists. And then the scientists came back at a future date and they said, okay, here was your list of things that you worried about. How many of those things happened? Statistically, 90% of the things that people worried about never happened. 90%. So think about that, brethren. All the waste of energy on what does not happen over 90% of the time. If you did something and 90% of your efforts fell away, that would be a lousy thing to waste time on, wouldn't it? If you planted 100 seeds and only 10 came up, you wouldn't consider yourself a very successful gardener. Now, what did Jesus say about this very thing? What is his advice? Let's go to Matthew 6.34. I want to share another insight into this that I was uh, encouraged by. Matthew 6.34. I want to show you the exact amount of worry that is appropriate for your life. Jesus told us. Matthew Matthew 6.34. This is a long passage on on cares and worries. I'm not going to get into all of it. But here in Matthew 6.34, Jesus said, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, let me read that to you in the New Living Translation. In the New Living Translation, Jesus said, So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Today's trouble. 
So what is the right amount of worry that you're supposed to have in your life? Just today's troubles. That's all you should be concentrating on, Jesus said. Nothing for tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to have its own set of challenges. That's the right amount. So in other words, the God who designed us, Jesus is the creator of all things. He knows, as the creator, exactly the right amount of worry that we should have. He knows where our red line is for you auto enthusiasts. Jesus says that we redline the moment we go outside of today's worries, the things that are on our table today. Is that shocking to you? Jesus said, worry only about the, or not, he didn't say worry, he said, concentrate only on the troubles of today. Anything beyond that, that tomorrow will have its own challenges, the next day will have its own challenges. I think that's pretty cool. Today's trouble is sufficient. I know that's shocking to most people because most people like the worry going out years and decades ahead and then they work their way back and they fill in all the blanks. I'm worried about 30 years from now and I'm worried 20 years from now and I'm worried. Jesus said, just worry about today. Just concentrate on today. That's all you and I can handle in, in practicality. Today's trouble is enough for today. That's enough of a dose. And what is the root cause of worry that carries us into the future to see possible bad outcomes? It is fear. It is the emotion of fear. Our fear carries us into the future and brings that future outcome that we fear back into our present. Or it goes elsewhere in the here and now, and it brings it from over there to your doorstep. And I understand fear is a defensive mechanism. But you know, there's, there's actually quite, a, there's quite little we can do about the things we fear about most of the time the things that really, really rack our brains. But we're very good at manufacturing things to worry about based on our fears, but we're not very good at actually solving the problems that we manufacture. Jesus said you, can, you can't even add one tiny cubit to your height. You worry, you can't even add a cubit. You can't add hair to your head. Not, not no. <laughs> not through thinking, not through worrying. You know, one doctor said, fear and faith operate on the same pathways. Fear, what do they mean by that? Well, we're, we're beings that have neural pathways, right? We have nerves. We have a nervous system. And doctors have determined that you can't have fear and faith on the same road, so to speak, on the same pathway. Faith drives out fear, and fear drives out faith. You know, it's like when you go to New England, if you have those those. Uh, those little bridges, the covered bridges, they're, they're only room for one car. You have to wait and see if anybody's coming. Sometimes they have lights, sometimes they don't have lights. But the bottom line is, you cannot get two cars passing each other on those little bridges. And that's like faith and fear. Either faith is going to take the bridge, or fear is going to take the bridge. You can't have faith and fear operating at the same time on the same bridge. It doesn't work that way. Now, I realize, brethren, some of us like our worries. They've been with us so long, they're like good companions, right? They're like our buddies, our, our companions of fear and worry. And some people even think of that as a unique part of their personality, or we think of them in that way. Oh, Matilda's a worrier. Jerry is a worrier. Do we really want that to be our defining mark? Or do we want to be Matilda is a person of faith? Jerry is a person of faith. If we're going to pick something to be known for, let's not be pick that one. Brother Don, the worrier. That doesn't sound good. 
Having the right perspective on our worries and following what God says to do with our worries can be a transformational power from God's Word. How Christians can overcome worries and fears in a crazy world is a Christian distinctive. You realize that, brethren. Your ability to overcome worries through the power of God's Word and His direction makes you different than what the world can do. The world has nothing like this. They can self-medicate, and when they come out of their medication, they're right back in their worries. They can drink themselves into oblivion, but when they come out of their drunken stupor, their worries are still there, and they have no tools to manage them except more medication and more drinking. But what Jesus gives us is different. I love Christian distinctives. Let's turn to John 14, 27. Let's see what Jesus says about the alternative to anxiety. John 14, 27. Jesus said the world cannot give what he gives. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's the peace that Jesus gives. It's completely different than the world's peace. Are you practicing that peace tonight in your life, brethren? This is the power of the cross at work in your life. If you are following Jesus, the Bible says you are reconciled to God because of the cross. So you have a relationship with him. And because you have a relationship with him, and he cares about you, and he's involved in your lives, you can shift your burdens to him. You know, friends share each other's burdens, and Jesus called us his friends. He is near, he is willing, and he is mighty. And we can partake of his peace if we are his followers. Let's turn to Isaiah 26.3. Isaiah 26.3. How do we stay in God's peace? How do we stay in the peace that Jesus gives us when we're born again? Let's see how to stay there. Isaiah 26.3. Isaiah writes, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. That means to rest or lean on. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. Praise God. He wants us to find a place of rest in him. To rest our minds on him. How do we rest our minds on him, brethren? What are the mechanics of that? We think of his goodness. We think of the promises of the Bible. We think of our future in Christ. We, we try to be heavenly minded. We try to think of the scriptures and of our faith. These are all ways that we can rest our minds on him by occupying our minds with the things of God. Rest your mind on the Lord. Hallelujah. There'll be no room for worries if you rest your mind on the Lord. God fights against our worries with his word at many levels, with his word. One of the ways he, he does that is he gives us our endpoints. Let's turn to Romans 8, and I'll explain what I mean by this. In other words, God has a vision for us in our lives, and he has a vision for the end of our lives. And because he gives us this vision, we can hold to it. We can rest our minds on him. Romans 8.28, a famous scripture that you're mostly familiar with. 
I'm just going to give you a tiny sampling of what God has for you if you follow Jesus. Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Let's jump down to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Let's go down to verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations, in other words, trials and troubles? Or distress, the things that stress us? Or persecution, people hating us? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or peril, which is danger to our persons? Or sword, threats to our lives? Verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He goes on to say, I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's saying here, if you are the called, God is for you. God is for you. He's on your side. He wants the best outcomes for you. God gives us his mind in the Bible. He says nothing can separate you from him. How about Psalm 23? The tender care of the shepherd for the sheep. How about Jeremiah 29, 11? I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. These are some of hundreds of thoughts in the Bible that God has for us. These are God's desires and plans for us that we can rest our minds on, brethren. We need to go to the scriptures when we have worries. Think of the good things that God has planned for those who love him. Brings joy to our lives. God's antidote to fear and worry is not complicated, but it must be followed. God has a recipe. It must be followed if we want success. We've got to practice it in our lives. If you practice the wrong things, you know there's an expression, practice makes perfect, which is not true. Practice, I've been a coach for many years, practice makes permanent Only if you practice the perfect, perfectly, will it become permanent. You can practice the wrong things and establish the wrong habits, right? When I go to shot put and discus practice, like I'm going to go tomorrow for the first time, I'm going to go in and I'm going to observe the athletes and I'm going to see what they're doing. And some of them are going to have some of the wrong habits that they've carried over from past sessions. And we're going to take the ideal, which I have in my mind, and we're going to try to break those habits, right? And so how we break the habits of worry is by applying, instead of worrying, we apply the principles from God's word, right? And we start to create new habits. We learn to rest our minds in Jesus. We have to undo the bad habits and learn new habits. So anyway, here's a summary so far of what I've covered so far. Worries result when we go into the future and bring back those bad expectations now to our hearts and minds. We must recognize, first of all, that worries are bad for us. The Bible says worries are bad for us. They want to choke the life out of us. And we can only handle, as Jesus said, 
a very small amount of them. That was my first point. Secondly, we must know that the Lord has good outcomes for us. He has good intentions for us in our lives. Actually, the Bible says, better than you can even imagine. Third, Jesus has real, tangible, and distinctive peace for his followers, which, if you've been born again, he's given it to you. You have it. Now you need to hold on to it. It is held on to by resting your mind on the things of God, replacing your worries with the promises from God's word. That's what we've covered so far. The next point I want to make. God wants us to give our worries to him and be unburdened. Let's go to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. This is how we get rid of our worries. We take them to the Lord in prayer. This is what I do with my worries. I dump them on the Lord in prayer. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus says here, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Learn from him. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We see Jesus as the one that you can go to if you are heavy burdened, if you are laboring. And then you can, you can link up with Jesus in the yoke. I taught about this a few years ago. When you want to train a young oxen, you always put the young oxen in the yoke with an older, bigger, more mature oxen. And then the yoke doesn't look like this. The yoke looks like this. And if you've ever been someone who had to pick up the heavy end of an object, I'm a big guy, right? So over the years, I've gotten the, big, the heavy end of many objects. You're a big guy. You take the heavy end. Now that I'm getting older, I have the privilege of taking the light end of objects more often. There's a big difference between the heavy end of an object and the light end of an object. I don't know why I didn't find this out younger in life. But that's the way the yoke works. The weight of the yoke is more on Jesus. We're along for the ride when you put your burdens on him. Secondly, whatever you're pulling behind you, you know the baggage? The bigger, stronger oxen is also, he is uh, foremost in that yoke. He's bigger and stronger. So not only is the yoke like this, the yoke is like this. Jesus, this is the analogy Jesus was using. He is bearing the burdens that we have when we give them to him. He is taking the heavy end of the yoke. He says, come to me. He wants to do that. Jesus wants to take the heavy end of the yoke upon his shoulders. Praise God. Now, this is a very biblical principle. The Bible says, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Let's go, to, let's go to Psalms 55. This is an interesting uh, scripture here. Psalms 55, verse 22. If you want to be relieved of your cares and your worries, you've got to give them to the Lord. Psalms, and I'm going to tell you how you have to give them to the Lord. Psalms 55, 22. In Psalms 55, 22, it says... 
Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Now, I looked up that word cast, and it was very interesting. It doesn't mean like, you know, tossing a ball. It means to hurl, to fling. Now, I know a lot about hurling and flinging from being a shot put and discus coach. If you want to have a good throw in shot put and discus, you got to give it your all. You got to have an explosive movement to throw that thing as far as you can from yourself. And that's really what the word hurl or fling means. God wants us to fling and hurl our cares upon Him. He doesn't want us just like, oh, I'll let go of it if you really want me to, God. I'll just, I've been really nurturing this particular worry for a long time, but if you want me to kind of just gently pass it off to you, I'll just give it to you, or I'll just drop it right there nice and easy. That's not what he says to do. It says here, cast your cares upon the Lord. Hurl them to the Lord. Fling them away from you. Put distance between you and that worry, the Bible says. And it takes energy to do that. And it takes prayer to do that. So summon up all your strength and toss it to the Lord. Praise God. Elizabeth Elliot said, Leave it all in the hands that were wounded for you. Great advice. Great advice. Put it, on Jesus's, put it in Jesus' hands. Put it in, on Jesus' shoulders. Almost done here tonight. The sixth point is that instead of letting fear reign in our hearts and take us into the future and bring that future back into the present, you know, the bad one I was talking about, God's Word says we should have faith. Now, faith is not the... You don't have faith to expect bad. Faith is the expectation of good, the Bible says. Let's go there. Hebrews 11.1. This is a great definition of faith right here. Faith is the opposite of fear and worry. And we're all praying, brethren. The church is praying and we're asking God for things. And he's working. He's working. He's always working like we were singing tonight. So let's, let's, let's look at this first. 11, Hebrews 11.1. 1. You all know this. You probably have read this scripture. Now faith is the substance. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. You see here, faith is a substance. It is seeing the things we hope for as though they are now. We think of them in our mind's eye. When you go to pray to God for a particular need, you're seeing that need in your mind. How else would you be asking for it? You're seeing that person getting saved. That's faith. I'm believing God to save this person. You're seeing that person saved. And faith transports our hearts into the future. And it sees God answering prayer. It's believing God now for what he's going to do later in his timing, according to his will. Answers that are beautiful and good. And as we get to know the Lord through his word, the Bible says we're going to pray more and more according to his word and according to his promises and according to his will. If you're a new believer in Christ, you've already seen God doing wonderful things in your life. You've already seen God change you, give you peace. God is already building a track record with you in your life if you're a new believer in Jesus. And if you're an old believer in Jesus, if I started to ask you about all the things God has done for you, it'd probably be hard to shut you up, right? 
He's done so many things. You almost need to keep a journal. We probably should keep more journals. God has a track record of good in our life. And we're believing him for more good things. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All his promises are yes and amen, the Bible says. So faith leads us to prayer, and prayer presents our petitions to God. And in prayer, we turn our worries into prayers. And we lay them at the, before the great king, right? And we say, Lord, see our needs and see these needs and these things that are challenging us. Please turn the situation around and answer. And then instead of worrying about bad outcomes, we look to the hands of our Father. And what do we start to do? What do we start to do? We start to thank Him. We thank Him for what He has done for us. We thank Him for what He is doing for us. And we can even thank Him for what He is going to do. We can thank Him in advance, in case we forget to thank Him later on. I want to see, by faith, I want to see that thing happening And I want to make it so real to myself. What does it say back here? It's the substance of things hoped for. I want to make it substance. And I want to start thanking God right now for that. You know, in the scriptures, prayer and faith and thankfulness are all linked together. They're all linked together. They're all together in the scriptures. When we pray to God for souls to come to Christ, when we pray for backsliders to come back to the Lord, when we're praying for healings, these are all prayers according to the will of God, what the Bible tells us. Let's go to one more scripture tonight before I finish here. Philippians chapter 4. This, this kind of sums it all up right here, brethren. We want to go out and thank God for the things he is going to do right now. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. We want to thank him right now. Thankfulness, brethren, has to have a part of our prayer life. We have to be thanking God for what he has done, for what he is doing, and what he's going to do. Philippians 4.6, this sums it up beautifully. Philippians 4.6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brethren, this is the meditation part. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that cool? It's all right there. Be anxious for nothing. Turn over our anxieties to the Lord in prayer. With thanksgiving. I'm thanking God. As I studied the scripture about thanking God and and about faith, you know, I realized in my prayer life, I didn't have enough of a component of thanksgiving for the things that God is going to do. We need to start thanking God now. You know, all these answers to all these prayers we've been making as a church and we're going to continue to do, we need to start thanking God right now for the souls that we're going to see here, for children that are going to be turned back to the Lord, for backsliders that are going to come back, for healings. Right now, start thanking the Lord for those things. Praise God. Just like that fear and worry, you know, takes those bad outcomes from the future back here, Thankfulness can transport our hearts 
to, through faith to seeing God's hand and seeing God's answer to our prayers. That's what I wanted to share with you tonight. Replace worry with thankfulness. Start to see in your mind's eye God answering those prayers and thanking him now ahead of time for those answers and your faith is going to go through the roof and God's going to do what he says he's going to do in his time. Praise God. So that's my message for tonight. And I'll leave it at that. Hopefully there's some good stuff to think about there and uh, thank you for your attention. And uh, I'm just going to close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for everyone who's here tonight, Lord. Lord, those who are struggling with worries, Lord, let them apply your word in their lives so that they might have victory, Father. Fill their lives with faith and hope and expectation and help them to spend time in your word, spend time praying, casting their cares upon you, Lord, and seeing those answers to the prayer, Father, that are coming and even starting to thank you now for them, Lord, ahead of time so that we don't miss out on giving you thanks for everything you're going to do, Father. I want to do it right now in Jesus' name. Please bless everyone who's here and give comfort to their hearts in these difficult times. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention.